Welcome to our After the Bell podcast, brought to you by Thirsty Scholars Partnership. Our podcast is here to help teachers and tutors. We will be discussing the latest issues in education and sharing top tips for use in the classroom, both face-to-face or virtually. If you work in education and looking to improve or develop your skills, then this podcast is here to help you. Welcome to the After the Bell podcast, brought to you by Thirsty Scholars Partnership, who are part of the Classroom Partnership, a collective group of education service providers who've been providing whole school recruitment, professional development and education support in the UK and internationally since 1999. I am Georgie, Director of Learning and Development for the Classroom Partnership, and this is a series of podcasts focusing on various themes, and in today we'll be focusing in and supporting for early career teachers. Early career teachers are previously known as newly qualified teachers, or as Helen and Andy have just found out, however in Wales they're still referred to as NQTs. And our experts join us again today, Helen Morgan, a previous head of school, and Andy Bridge, current deputy principal, who return to share their top tips and reflections on being a professional early career teacher or newly qualified teacher. So Andy, over to you. What does it mean to be a professional early career teacher or NQT? Um, I think it's, I mean, it's probably quite different depending on what, um, what you've done prior to you teaching. So for me, I was young, I was 21, straight from school to college to university, um, summer born and then straight back into school um, to start teaching when I was 21. And for me, that was like the first professional job that I'd ever had. And to make that transition um, from university student, like stereotypical university life, finishing in June to full time job in a suit as a classroom teacher in September is a massive shift. Um, so like that's quite hard to do. So I think it probably just needs unpicking a little bit like the behaviours, the um, I don't know, the conduct, the way that we the, we speak, the way that we think, the way that we act. Um, probably we just need to give some careful thought in advance of starting. I don't know what you think, Helen. Yeah, I think, you know, you make some really good points there. And I think that shift from being a university student um, or coming from industry or, you know, coming from a different job um, can be quite a big move into a school. Um, and I think it is, you know, you challenged three ways, aren't you, as a an early career teacher? One you're trying to build your knowledge um, as a teacher or a subject specialist in secondary or your knowledge of the whole curriculum if you're in primary. Um, you're trying to build your skills as a teacher, so your pedagogical skills, but also your pastoral skills and understanding. And then you've got to think about what are those behaviours um, of a professional teacher um, in the way that Andy said, you know, you conduct yourself. Um, with colleagues, the way you conduct yourself with children, and similarly how you conduct yourself with parents and, and out in the wider community. And I think one of the things to, to remember is that, you know, teaching is a public role um, and those principles of, of public life, um, you know, are really important that we present ourselves well, not just within school, but but beyond the school context as well. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? In school, you'll be Miss um, or Mrs. Such and such. So I was always Miss Morgan. But when you go to the supermarket, um, 
you often still miss Morgan as well. Um, and, you know, that can be challenging and you've got to really give that some thought. Um, Andy, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit more about kind of professionalism in terms of, because um, we've worked together for a while, um, in terms of building subject knowledge. Yeah, in terms of subject knowledge. So it was an interesting, um, well, I'm an English teacher and I'd just done an English degree. So I was probably think, feeling I'd be quite confident in my subject knowledge, but actually you're study at university is so specific and so in-depth in certain areas so I was looking at linguistics and sociolinguistics and um, like real in-depth grammar that compared to what you're then teaching is hugely different so there was a huge body of um, of knowledge of a discipline of English of how that's taught in secondary schools that I needed to go back and revisit I'd not studied English literature um, since I did my GCSEs myself so I think it's quite easy to think oh my subject knowledge is fine um but actually that needs some real scrutiny um so I spent that summer really upskilling myself rereading a lot of books um and buying a lot of GCSE revision guides and A-level revision guides to make sure that you know if we're talking about professionalism it's not professional to be one page ahead of the students or be worrying about can I answer their questions correctly because I'm not entirely sure what happens in the next chapter or I've not taught myself this bit yet so um, yeah, subject knowledge, I definitely think needs a lot of thought about how you're going to. Yes, you've got your subject knowledge as an expert in whatever you've studied, but how are you going to um, be familiar with all aspects of the specifications and the national curriculum and make sure that your delivery of that subject knowledge is accessible to students? So the going back to sort of Andy, thank you. We will unpack the kind of the curriculum aspects in a moment. But just going back, it's interesting um, to sort of consider actually this position of being a professional role model, both um, inside the classroom and outside the classroom. And um, what kind of strategies can we do to prepare ourselves um, to sort of manage ourselves in that transition from being a student at uni into a classroom? Are there sort of any key things that you remember um, about your days, Andy, when you uh, when you were first an NCT? I think, um, I mean, this probably sounds quite basic and a bit of a probably silly approach, but for me, it's when, when you dress for school and you, especially if you're young and you're straight out of university, power dressing in a way, getting a new suit on, and sure you've got your tie on, your jacket, is you've got a distinction then. Like once you've put that outfit on, you, you're the professional, you're in the building, you, it doesn't matter that three months ago you were a 21 year old university student you're now a teacher a professional you're on the payroll you, to the students they don't know you were at university three months ago or what you used to do at a weekend or whatever you're just their teacher so you, you've got to adopt that persona um so that's probably quite easy in a way once you you're in that building you're on the school site you you're in that professional dress to adopt that persona but as helen said it Maybe takes a little bit more thought um, thinking about at the weekend in an evening, if you're in a pub, if you're in a restaurant, if you're in the supermarket, especially if you live near to where you either teaching or you're on placement and you're likely to see students or parents out in the community. That's probably more tricky to to unpick. Ella, what are your memories um, from when you were a newly qualified teacher? <laughs> I think my memories were a lot um 
further away than Andy, so I think I was actually a, a, an NQT ECT 26 years ago. But I think that step for me um, into, again, into being a teacher from a PGCE, um, which was the route that I took, um, it, it was very much about, you know, taking the time to observe colleagues um, and watch particularly experienced colleagues and how they, if you like, showed up and carried themselves in school. And I think one of the things when you see some really professional teachers um, behave um, or, or kind of a, around school is um, you see the same person every day. So they don't wear their emotions or what happened at the weekend or the night before um, on their sleeve. And they so, certainly, they might wait, you know, show those things with um, colleagues in a, a private moment. But when students around, students see um, whether they're primary students or secondary students, the same teacher every day, the teacher is really balanced. The teacher is really professional and pleasant. Um, and I think taking time to just observe those experienced colleagues and, you know, how they speak to students in a really respectful way, how, you know, they use standard English and perhaps, you know, not slang or, or street language with students is really important. And that role modelling, I think, is absolutely critical. And I think one of the best things you can do at the start of your career is just take time to watch what's happening around you. Um, watch those really experienced colleagues. Watch how they speak to, you know, um, difficult students, um, students who are disengaged or perhaps disaffected. Um, and, you know, how they show that really high level of regard for those young people. And I think for me, um, that's critical. And ev even simple things like when you watch a really experienced teacher walk down the corridor, um, they show up really well. They acknowledge everybody. They smile. They say positive things to young people. And they're really aware and really conscious of the impact that they're having just as they walk down the corridor or, you know, have a, a conversation with students as they come into the room. Yeah, I, th I think that's really important. And like I said, it's not about being a robot and not having any emotion, but it's about being able to manage that and choosing what you show and what you don't. And like that's really hard if you've had no sleep or you've got stuff going on at home or you have an awful lesson with the class period one and then the bell goes and another 30 students are coming straight in after you've just had an absolute nightmare. That's quite hard to then put that professional face back on and be really smiley and welcoming and really pleasant to everybody. That's difficult if you're not used to that. Yeah, I think they're all really, really key things to consider when certainly in my reflections, I, I was thrown into a classroom um, with some challenging students and, and basically just had to muddle my way through. I think nowadays things are really, really different. Um, and Helen, it would great. It'd be great to sort of think about what support is available now for our early career teachers, because there's been a lot of recent research um, and investment made. Yeah, I think, you know, there, there are kind of two things that I think are really um, excellent for early career teachers now um, and really supportive across that early stage of their career. The first one is um, something that everyone has probably heard of. It's the ECF, um, the Early Career Framework. 
And I think what's interesting for that is there are some key domains with that, but it, it looks particularly at um, learning how to do specific things, but also behind the learning how, learning what things are. Um, and the learning what is underpinned quite a lot by evidence and research. So the framework in lots of respects really helps teachers and particularly early career teachers to get to grips with what good pedagogy um, and practice looks like by looking at the research, but then looking at how you, like with Rose and Shine's principles, build the bridge between that research and evidence and move it into to practice and what it actually looks like in the classroom. Um, the second thing, which maybe we'll talk about a little bit further down the line is, is mentors. So I think the role of mentoring is now taken much more seriously. Um, it's much more formal um, and there are clear expectations of mentors and mentees. So the amount of time invested into that now by schools is absolutely tremendous. And I think one of the things when you first start out is it can feel pretty lonely. I can remember 26 years ago feeling fairly lonely at times. And one of the key things to think about is how you use your mentor well as an early career teacher. Um, Andy, I don't know if you want to build on on those two at all. Yeah, in, in terms of the early career framework, I mean, it, it's very, um, as Helen said, research informed based on a lot of evidence, quite prescriptive um, approach in a lot of ways. But I think that's probably quite a good thing. I remember when I did my teacher training, there seemed to be quite a lot of disparity between the experience of myself and um, people that I trained with, depending on which school we were working in, um, you know, depending how good their induction processes was, how much thought they'd put into them, whether it was full of kind of edgy myths or it was research based. So the early career framework it is quite prescriptive, but I think it's brought probably greater equity to the experience that early career teachers are having, um, regardless of the school that they're they're going to. Um, and as Helen said, the, I really like the structure of the the learn that statements that are kind of the pedagogical theory, and then the how to, how are you going to apply that? What's that going to look like when you do that, when you implement it in your classroom? Um, as Helen said, mentoring. So the early career framework's a big shift to inst instructional coaching, which um, you know, there's a lot of evidence about how effective that is really focusing on granular level feedback to implement one specific thing that's going to have a high leverage impact. But the, the, the mentor is so much more than that. Of course, they've got the instructional coaching, but they're that support figure, um, the guide, the coach, the kind of person to pick you up um, when you've had a bad day. So instructional coaching, massive part of it. Um, there's, there's a lot else in there as well. Um, and I think one of the benefits of the early career framework is the amount of mentor training um, that is allocated to those mentors, as Helen said, is a much kind of higher profile role than it once was. You know, it might have just been like you're paired with this trainee, support them with this NQT. There's now a much more rigorous training process um, for those early career mentors. Excellent. And that, that's really good because often people don't actually know how to be a mentor and historically again as you're saying Andy people would just said oh can you just work with this new teacher that's coming on board and there wasn't any sort of support 
for the mentor on on how to sort of develop or work with that early career teacher um, and certainly I was in that position as well and and you're kind of finding your way to make sure that you're helping them get through the first year because often that's the most challenging experience and uh, again historically I think many new teachers or early career teachers as they're now called perhaps fell by the wayside because they just couldn't get through the the first first year when you need to sort of focus on developing your resources etc um, and so it's great to hear that this mentoring role is much more formalized and the support is there and Helen would you have anything to add around those sort of benefits I think you know Andy's point is a, a great one about equity that you know all early career teachers need to have a great experience of, of mentoring um, support and they all need to have a great experience in terms of developing their subject um, or their domain knowledge and that pedagogical knowledge and I think for me when we kind of think about the early career framework um, it's there almost to make sure that um, those early career teachers like Andy said don't fall by the wayside that they do get the the actual support that they need because you know it's a huge jump when you go from your training year into your first year of teaching because you'll have spent a lot of time and um, planning one lesson um, or planning a scheme of work and suddenly um, you go from you know maybe teaching 10 to 13 lessons a week so a half timetable to more or less a full timetable and you've got to manage that across the whole year. So you've got to keep marking those books, you've got to keep planning those lessons. And then you've got all things like parents' evenings, reports, data drops, moderation thrown in there as well. And you're encouraged to become part of the life of the school, which is great to do. But I think that for lots of early career teachers, particularly in that first term, can feel quite overwhelming and it's really important that they reach out and they use their mentor but also that they reach out and, and engage with their colleagues um, you know one of the the really kind of concerning thing for me um, when I was in school was if you had an early career teacher who didn't come down for lunch or didn't come and get a coffee at break um, and for me you know kind of as a a, a more experienced teacher as a mentor keeping an eye on little things like that like making sure they do have a break in the day and that somebody is checking that they're not overwhelmed and giving them that support is really important yeah I'd agree and from the opposite perspective as well like from the mentors perspective I think previously people were selected to be mentors because they were a great teacher um but they're very different skills. You might be great in the classroom working with children, but that's a very different skill set than supporting an adult at the early stages of their career. Um, so I think that that training and investment there uh, is a really positive step alongside the um, protected time that the mentors now allocated. I still probably don't think it's enough time. Um, the, the demands of the early career framework are really quite intense and rigorous for those mentors. There's a lot that they need to do um, but they have at least now got some protected time on their timetables to fulfil those duties, even if it probably could do with being a little bit more time. 
Thank you, Andy. Just just as we start to sort of unpack a bit more about what it's like to work with your mentor, are we able to sort of direct people to where they can find out more about the early career um, teachers framework? Because there may be people sitting and listening to us now who are thinking about becoming teachers or moving into that kind of career role or progressing upwards. And it would be great for them to sort of read about the type of support that's, that is available. Helen, would you be able to direct people to um, who, who's written the framework and what it is? Yeah, so the, the framework itself is, is produced by DFE and, you know, I would recommend um, that the starting point might just be to go and have a look at the early career framework. Um, but I also think there are some really good resources um, produced and developed by, um, you know, really credible organisations. So the Chartered College of Teaching um, are really working hard to give prominence to the early career framework and early careers teachers. Um, and, you know, I think we've all read in the news um, the challenge of retaining new teachers. Lots of teachers leave within their first five years of teaching. And organisations like the Chartered College um, are producing lots of resources, lots of webinars um, to really support um, not just teachers, but also mentors and schools with how they organise their support for those early career teachers, how they make sure they get the right CPD um, and how to make sure that things are balanced. Um, Andy, I don't know if you want to build on that at all. Yeah, just to say, I think, um, you know, you've said it's produced by um, DFE, um, which is, but I think the the really good thing about it is it's not a document that was just written by civil servants in an office somewhere. So the, the group of um, experts that contributed to that, you, you know, you've got really high profile educators from um, Education Southwest, the UCL Institute of Education, Ambition Institute, Teach First, the Charters College of Teaching, like there's a whole body of experts that came together um, to, to write that guidance. And then as well, the fact that it's been independently evaluated by the Education Endowment Foundation as really rigorous evidence. You know, it's been independently evaluated um, and endorsed by them. So we, we know that it's high quality. We know it's based on evidence. And I think that's really, really helpful as well. It gives a structure and a process that they, they go through to kind of make sure that they're ticking all the boxes. And ultimately, it's about becoming the best teacher you possibly can be. Um, so it gives a really strong foundation, very much like we do with our learners on um, about being in the classroom. There are many other organisations that are out there also to sort of support early career teachers. So um, as I mentioned, I'm part of the Classroom Partnership and one of our organisations is the ECT Partnership. Um, you can just Google them, ectpartnership.com. Um, and they actually work with early career teachers to actually find their first teaching role. They support them as they become established um, and help with any kind of CPD opportunities that may be needed. And they have a whole suite and a whole raft of sort of support that's out there. So um, at the end of this podcast, if you want to find out more, then go to ectpartnership.com. Little plug there while I'm on, on the uh, podcast. Um, so moving on then, what's it like to work with your mentor, Helen? Obviously, accepting feedback is quite a, a big thing and a big part of um, learning to become a professional teacher. Would you like to um, sort of explore that a bit further? 
Yeah, you know, learning how to give and receive feedback, I think, is really, really challenging for people. Um, from a mentoring perspective, you know, giving really precise, um, granular feedback, like Andy said, is is really important because that is is what will really help to move those early career teachers on, giving them small chunks um, often. I think learning how to listen to feedback and then act on it is equally as important. And, you know, certainly the, there's sometimes a view that, well, you know, I'm now a qualified teacher. I've finished my training year. I was categorised as an outstanding trainee by the partnership that I was working with. Um, teaching is a, a lifetime's um, labour of love. I don't think that you ever are the finished article or the finished product. But I think one of the things I would always say is the most successful teachers and most effective teachers over time are the ones who listen to feedback um, and are open to feedback and then do something with the feedback. And I would really encourage across, you know, certainly your ECT and your RQT, but also beyond that, you know, always inviting people into your classroom to have a look at what you're doing and, you know, what do you think? What do you think worked well? Have you got any feedback for me that might just move things on a little bit? Because when you're actually teaching, um, you're in the game and you're not always seeing the big picture. Um, when somebody comes in to observe you or just does a walkthrough or a drop-in, they can see the whole picture of that class and that's really valuable, listening to what they've got to say and then, you know, going away and reflecting on it. And I know that Andy's really big on developing reflective practitioners and the importance of, of reflection. Um, Andy, I don't know if you want to talk more about that. Yeah, I think it's, like you said, it's it's easy to sit and hear what somebody's saying, sit and hear the feedback, but actually listening to it is quite different. In the, you know, the might you might think they're the same skill, they are really different and listening attentively, not interrupting, not coming to that feedback meeting with your own agenda, just really listening, taking it on board, being aware of your body language and how you're responding, being really open to that feedback, um, I just think is so important. And then, as you said, taking the time to reflect. So what are you going to do as a result of that feedback? Do you understand exactly what they mean? Like there's, there's nothing wrong with asking questions asking follow-up questions I'm not sure what you mean by that what would that look like is there somebody in school that I can go and see modeling that um, I think it's really valuable to go and watch teachers with your mentor sometimes if you just go and observe somebody that can be a little bit overwhelming if you're not sure what you're actually looking out for whereas going with your mentor for them to be able to articulate look at how they've just look at their position in the classroom look at how they phrase that question um, that's really important and then following up like as you said once you've gone you've done your reflection what are you going to do as a result of that feedback um is is so important otherwise you're just hearing messages and not not changing anything not embedding anything new in your practice so building on sort of embedding and, and building on your practice and in helen what are there any sort of recommended resources or um, sort of books or sort of support that newly qualified teachers and early career teachers can look to access? Helen, what would you recommend? I think 
you know, there are lots of different things out there, but, you know, um, one of the things we've done recently, and again, it's a shameless plug, is is looking at how um, teachers can use Rose and Shine's principles in the classroom and really kind of develop specific aspects of their practice. So, you know, whether that be daily review or asking questions or thinking about how you build things or break things down into small steps is really valuable. But I think one of the things with those are, are the, their generic principles. I think one of the key things is how do we move into that subject-specific um, practice as well and that domain-specific knowledge. So I think having a look at things like subject associations. So if you're a geographer, you know, there's the geographical association. There's the historical association for English. There's a national association for teaching English. And I think getting the balance between developing your generic pedagogy, but also your subject specific knowledge is absolutely critical. Um, Prince's Teaching Institute, again, really, really strong. Andy, I don't know if, if you have any suggestions. Yeah, probably too. Um, I would suggest if you want something more kind of generic about your um, early career, um, stage i'd maybe look at the um early career framework handbook that the charter college teaching have published i think it's really comprehensive um there's four sections in there so there's uh, a chapter on building a productive classroom environment there's a section on supporting learning and development one about understanding curriculum and assessment and then one about learning uh, building a learning professional so kind of picking up some of the things that we're covering today but in a, a lot greater depth so i'd really recommend um having a read of that handbook and then probably get yourself a professional account set up on Twitter or LinkedIn and network. Um, you know, there's so many teachers that are willing to share their practice and write really interesting blog posts. And it's not a case of just picking up, this is what they're doing in their school so I can implement that directly in my classroom. You need to go through that reflection and think about your context and you, the stage of your development, What what might work, what might need changing. But um, for me, just reading, engaging with other teachers um, from schools all across the country on Twitter and LinkedIn is just so powerful. Thank you, Andy. And the power of the network is uh, one of the reasons we're here today to make sure that we can share out free resources and, and sort of please follow us on uh, After the Bell on iTunes and also on Spotify. And we have a number of free workshops and webinars that we offer out as well uh, called Twilight Toolkit. So have a look for those. Moving on, I think it would be really great. We talked about all the positives and the benefits and those sort of elements. What are the main challenges? I'm sure there are many, but Helen, what would you say uh, the challenges are about being an early career teacher in your first year? Oh, I think, you know, there, there like you said, there are a lot of different challenges. And I think back to, to some of the ones I experienced, but I think one of the key ones is, is workload. So managing your work-life balance, um, you know, it's tempting to want to make a good impression and to be working till 11 o'clock every night and working all weekend. Um, but if you're experiencing that, it's really important that you reach out and you ask for some support. Um, tired teachers are rarely effective teachers. 
Um, and it's really important that you get that support from your colleagues to manage that workload well. Um, I think the other one, um, and I don't know whether Andrew would, would agree with this, but you know, I was just gone 22 when I first went into the classroom. Um, I'm five foot two, so I didn't have that big physical presence. Um, and really kind of building relationships with students um, was important for me because actually when we talk about behaviour management, it's tempting, isn't it, to think about punitive responses, um, but really learning how to build good relationships and working with your school behaviour policy is absolutely critical. And, you know, being brave enough to follow the policy, being brave enough to ask for help if you're struggling with a class um, and making sure that you really invest yourself in making those relationships with your classes. Yeah, I mean, the first one in terms of um, workload, the thing that probably overwhelmed me a little bit, which um, actually still not really covered necessarily in the early career framework, maybe something to be aware of if you are a mentor, is those early career teachers might need all that support with the pedagogy, the subject knowledge, but the biggest thing for me was like organisation. So I wasn't used to having uh, an email account that filled up every single day with more and more things to do or managing your time and knowing that you've got all these books to marks, data to put in, um, meetings to go to, like how you organise your time and how you allocate those tasks. So, um, you know, it sounds quite basic, but some work at the start of the year I'd really recommend is really getting to know how to use Outlook or Gmail or whatever um, suite your school uses. Like how do you effectively manage your inbox and flag things and know what you've responded to and know what you're coming back to. Um, people laugh at me at, at my school because I'm a bit obsessive about my Outlook calendar because um, everything that I do is in there. So it's in one place and I know where I'm meant to be, what I'm meant to be doing. I allocate specific amount of time to certain tasks that I've got to do. Um, and that's like my way of trying to stay organised and on top of my workload. So I think, yes, make sure your workload's manageable. Yes, make sure you're taking breaks. But also the time that you have got, make sure you're using that as productively as you can do. Um, and then secondly, I think one of the challenges that we've, Helen and I both, um, as we've said, started teaching at 21, 22 straight out of university. But if you look at the um, DFE data now for the the makeup of the um, ITT early career cohorts that are coming through, we're getting more and more career changes. Um, and I think that's that can be quite hard if you're career changing from a job that you've done for a long time, that you're really successful at, that you're the top of your game to then go into something where you're the novice and you go back to needing that weekly feedback, needing a mentor to give you a lot of guidance, that can be quite difficult um, to manage that transition back to a novice in something completely new. So I think if you are a career changer, really give some thought to that, especially about how you're going to take on board feedback, how you're going to feel um, going into an organisation with so much to learn and so much knowledge that you've not yet got. Um, I think that that's quite a tough challenge. Thank you, Andy. That, that's certainly some really strong top tips there um, for us to sort of think about and take away. Helen, would you have anything else, any other top tips or what would be your one key takeaway? I think, you know, my, my key takeaway is um, don't do this on your own. If you're an early career teacher, um, remember that you've got your mentor. Remember you're part of a bigger team and don't be scared to ask for help and ask for support. Um, you know, 
it's you know teaching teaching is you know if we if we coin the phrase it is a marathon it isn't a sprint um and you know Rome wasn't built in a day and I could use a million and one cliches but I think you know just accepting that it does take time to develop and actually learning is messy um and accepting that there will be times when things don't go well but actually sometimes that's where the best learning happens if it's always perfect that can really get in the way of your development perfection is the absolute enemy of of progress um in your first few years and, and probably across your whole career if i'm going to be honest um andy i don't know if you'd agree no i'd i'd completely agree i'd say um it's quite easy to be overwhelmed and feel quite alone or even if you've not got the best relationship with your mentor you might feel you know you can't approach anybody but you've got a whole department you've got head of department or second in department or early career colleagues that have joined at the same time as you or as we talked about that wider network um either from your ITT course or that you may be engaged with on social media um so yeah knowing that you're not you're not kind of on your own make sure you're getting that support I would say is key takeaway for me Thank you both so much for today. Um, certainly my key takeaways, having spoken to you both, is about making sure that uh, you show up, that when you observe, you're present and you're in place. Um, be brave and ask for help. Um, you're not on your own. There are the people that are going through, um, you know, the similar situations and focus on working with your relationships with both your network your peers and also with your students and your learners in the classroom as well. So some really strong messages there. We will be continuing with further discussions around early career teachers and NQTs in the in this series of podcasts later on. Um, and so thank you today for Helen Morgan and Andy Bridge who've joined us and taken their time to chat through these. Um, in our next podcast, we'll be returning to unpack Rose and Shine's principles of instruction again and looking at step five which is around guiding student practice so that may also be something you want to dip into and listen to um, and we as I mentioned previously we have a number of free webinars that are happening they're all free to access and sign up for and you can watch them um, attend or attend afterwards um, on demand um, I've shared with you about the early career teacher partnership.com um, and they can help you get your first teaching role if you haven't quite got your position sorted next year or this year. Um, and they also, as part of that talent pool, um, they give free access to lots of sort of teaching and learning, well-being, mental health, SEND sort of training as well. So well worth looking up. Um, you can pick up the Afterbell podcasts and they're released on a weekly basis and we're aiming to provide quick tips and discussions with our experts. Um, we're going to be covering lots of different themes and um, areas that hopefully will help you within your education. Um, and you can listen to those or access those anytime on your daily commute, on your treadmill or cooking dinner. Um, it's been lovely to catch up with Helen and Andy again this week. Um, and I look forward to uh, hearing and listening to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.